Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to wrap up a little three-part series this uh, morning called Seeing God as a Perfect Father. And um, this has been an interesting study for me. I, I, you know, I say this all the time, and I don't know if you buy it or not, but it really is true. Nobody learns more in here than me. I, I get a chance to, to hear and listen to a lot of sermons and study a lot of stuff and read a lot of books and there's nothing like the accountability of having to stand in front of a group of people and speak to make you learn a little something and so that happens for me every single week Uh, what we've been talking about is the fact that God is a revealer he wants you to know who he is we said last week that that uh, God really is not the reflection of your earthly father whether that's a good thing to you or a bad thing to you whether you had a a really good earthly father or maybe a poor example of, a, of an earthly father that God is not a reflection of that for you and I need to get away from this stand a little bit it's bugging me but that in fact God is the perfection of your earthly father God is all the things that you have always wanted in a dad he's all the things that that you could ever hope to have in a father not just a reflection but the perfection today we're going to take uh, the responsibility of being the loved son or daughter of God, uh, the, re- the responsibility, and we're going to take that, that blessing and we're going to talk about what it is to live up to that blessing. What, what does it mean for us to be uh, the son or daughter of God? It's, it means more than just to be loved, okay? There is, a, there is a responsibility that my sons and my daughter have as a Wilson that I expect of them. There are certain things I expect of them, not just that I'm going to love them all the time, which I do, and not just that they're going to wear the Wilson name all the time, but there are things that I expect as they mature and as they grow for them to be able to, to do, and, and uh, that's no different than it is with us in our relationship with God. It's not just enough for us to be loved by God. There's an expectation of us to grow and to mature. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. In Ephesians 5, Paul takes us uh, on the next step from being the loved child of God, from being the loved daughter or son of God, to the to the next stage which is we look like the the son or the daughter of God you know you can um, you can be the loved son or daughter of God and not necessarily look like it there are people who come to churches all over the country this morning and there probably are some in here this morning who are loved sons and daughters they have professed their faith in Christ they walk daily with with God but they aren't growing and they aren't maturing and you would say well God certainly loves them I mean that's never going to change God loves you dearly and and you're the apple of his eye but but you might not necessarily look like the son or daughter of God because you haven't matured and you haven't grown and you're not taking steps daily to try and get to a place where you are identified more clearly as the son or daughter of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now that is not complicated, okay? There are not a lot of big words in there that we can't understand. No theological words in this particular sentence, really. You know, we can all understand these words, but the, the question is, did you hear what God said? That's really the question, because God's, what God would say to us today is, if you will do this, then you're going to make me happy. If you'll do this, this is something I'm going to really like to see 
out of you. In fact, your assignment for the week is to do this thing. That, that is what God would have you focus on for the next few days, is this particular verse of Scripture, that as you see it, there's something in there that you're supposed to do. Are you ready for it? Be imitators of God. You hear that, and you think, well, that's crazy. I mean, how do you, how do you imitate God? What, what does that even look like? I mean, you know, did somebody make this up? Is this, um, is this some kind of massive joke, or is this a challenge? What is it that God really wants to say to us? God says, just be like me. You know, just if you would just kind of think about in different circumstances the kind of things I would say, then say those things. It, it, when you think of in circum, certain, certain circumstances, what, you know, how would God respond to something like this? Just, just kind of respond the way I would respond. You know, think whatever I would think. Act however you think I would act. Uh, I just expect you to imitate me. And we say, well, you know, that, that doesn't really seem to make sense. That, that's almost like a cruel joke. I mean, to... to challenge us to imitate God it just doesn't even seem possible that we could even do that um, you know you wonder if God said something like that and then he and all the angels had a great laugh up in heaven because they're thinking well there's no way in the world that those guys on earth are ever going to be able to imitate God or does he have a greater purpose in mind for us or did he say this and didn't smile you know he, he not like this was some kind of joke I mean is it possible that he said this with the full intent that it could be pulled off, that it is something that can actually happen, that we can actually live our lives and be an imitator of God? Is it possible that God really was serious when he asks us, even commands us, to be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children? How does this happen? Well, you just keep reading the verses, and it happens in the next verse. It shows you. Verse 2, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So now, how do you imitate God? Well, it, it happens with the little phrase, as dearly loved children. That's where it starts. Imitating God doesn't begin by joining the church or getting a spiritual set of guidelines and say, well, I'm going to live my life by this particular set of guidelines. It doesn't happen when you get some spiritual profile and you start to develop some things that way. You know, it's not, you know, that's what you have to be if you want to be a Christian or you got to behave this way if you want to be a follower of God. Being an imitator of God, God starts with being called a loved child of God. That's where it starts. You, you can't be an imitator of God if you don't first recognize yourself as a loved child of God. The New American Standard uses a word, when I was in Bible college, we used to check our Greek according to the New American Standard. So if you ever want a Bible that is, I mean, the NIV is what we read from and preach from here, and it's a great translation. It's very accurate, but the most accurate translation that we found, at least our professor taught us in, in Greek class, was the New American Standard. When you look this verse up in, in the New American Standard, the word is beloved, which is, you don't get that much anymore. You know, I mean, you, you don't see the word beloved much. We don't use that in our terminology very much. You get that a little bit at weddings, if you have the right kind of preacher who kind of goes back into things and starts breaking out, you know, we're gathered here today, uh, beloved, or you might see that on a tombstone sometimes, the beloved mother of, or the beloved father of, beloved son, you, you see that on occasion, but we don't, we don't get much beloved anymore, in the Old Testament, God reveals his name to Moses, and he says, my name is I am, 
Now, his whole name, you know, when God said, well, you know, Moses said, that's not really helping me. God comes behind that with his whole name, and he says, I am that I am. That's God's whole name. I am that I am. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that God is constantly himself. That, that God, that's who God is, and it never changes. I am that I am. It's the verb to be. The, the Hebrew word was a word that you'll be able to remember. It's kind of funny. Hayah. That's the, that's the Hebrew for it. So you can go around today going Hayah, and you've kind of got the name of God down a little bit. You can speak some Hebrew. You know, going to work tomorrow and say, hey, my preacher taught me how to speak Hebrew. Hayah. And that's the, that's the name of God. Um, I am to be. Now, that's a, that's a pretty cool name, I think. I mean, that's way better than Malon and Kilion. You've got you to gotta say that. And we, we just did a series, if you're new to us, we just did a series in Ruth, and there were a couple of guys in there named Malon and Kilion. Their names meant death and dying, sickness and dying. And, you know, those aren't names you want to have. But, but I am to be, that's a, that's a pretty good name. I mean, I, that's, that's a name you want to have. I'm always the same. I'm not changing. I'm ever consistent. You know, I told you about the New American Standard using the word beloved. Beloved is a compound word. Be loved. First word is be. Second word is love. Do you get it now? Be loved. Now listen to this again. Be imitators of God as be loved children. Now there are two ways you can slice that. Depending on how you use inflection depending on how that word comes out of your mouth and the, the emphasis that you put on the, the syllables and the way you say it you can look at that word two uh, entirely different ways first of all you can say that sitting in this building this morning you are beloved that God loves you that you matter to him that, that he cares deeply about you and certainly that is true we're not asking if you love him that's not, that's not what this word is about at all it's not a question of whether or not you love God that's not the debate this morning the, the question on the table right now is beloved you are loved I, I contend and will till the day I die that one of the toughest things for me to be able to get a, a, an adult to see and to understand is that God loves them most adults, life beats them up. They make mistakes. They've got a closet full of skeletons, a lot of mistakes in their past, and they say, you know, there's no way God can love somebody like me. And my response to that is, God, you, you, God is crazy about you. He's wild about you. Thinks you're the greatest thing in the world. And you say, well, I'm a sinner, and I'm messed up, and yeah, you are all that, and I am too. But he loves us. So we're telling you right here, God loves you just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Before we were ever on the scene, God said, I love you. Before you were ever born and in the picture, God said, I love you. How much do I love you? God would say, well, I love you enough that I would send my own son to die for you. You can either accept him or you can reject him. You can embrace him or you can ignore him. You can write him off or you can build him in, but I'm sending you my son to tell you that I love you. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. You know, there's no... Uh, in fact, we deserve the exact opposite of what we get. I mean, the fact that God loves us, we don't deserve that. The way we behave and the way we live life and the way we many, many times live our life with a total disregard of who God is and what matters to him, uh, we really deserve the exact opposite. 
But God says, I'm a God of grace and mercy, and I'm going to send my own son, and I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. You are loved. I love you, and I'm not willing that you would perish. I'm waiting on you to tell me, and I'm not waiting on you to tell me. I'm telling you. I'm being proactive, God would say. I want you to know that you're loved. I'm the first mover. I'm the first lover. I'm the initiator of this whole thing with you, God would say to us. I told you that was one way to look at the word beloved is that you and I are loved, that we are beloved. That's true. But there's a possible other way that you can look at it. And if you put the emphasis on different syllables, you can say it this way. It could sound like this. It could be be loved. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to be the beloved, but it's another thing to be loved. I mean, that's really, we've got to kind of embrace that a little bit. You change the inflection and the tone in your voice in other words, receive it and take hold of what I have for you. God would say, are you doing that? Do you believe it? Do you believe that I love you? Do you, do you live your life in such a way that you, you are the beloved? Are, be loved. And where does that all come from? Well, it comes from birth. We are the beloved children of God. See, you don't, you don't imitate God by deciding one day that you're just going to become more spiritual. You don't, you don't become an imitator of God by saying, you know, I'm just going to be a more spiritual person and live my life that way. You don't start imitating God by, by getting some book of character and trying to live out what you see and read in that book of character and say, well, these are the, you know, kind of maybe the attributes of God and I'm going to imitate God that way. You start imitate by, uh, imitating God by being born into a, a spiritual relationship with God and becoming the beloved child or children of God. That's how it starts. I was born on September 13th, 1962 at 8.01 a.m. And on that day, they gave, uh, they issued a piece of paper, a document that is my birth certificate that states when and where I came into human Existence, And you are not recognized in this country anyway as a human being until you've got that little piece of paper. That's a really important deal. That's something that kind of initiates you into the human race, and that's how you get your start. You get that birth certificate. Documentation that says this is where you were born. This is uh, where you were born. And the question that resonates really throughout this whole series is, is there a beginning point for your relationship with God? Is there some kind of spiritual birth certificate that gets issued on your behalf? You don't get it by osmosis. You don't start a, a relationship with God by driving by enough churches. You know, it's not like, well, I've driven, I drive by that church every day on the way to work, so, you know, obviously I have some kind of relationship with God because I go by that church every day. No, that's not, not how it works. You don't do enough good things to become a Christian. We're very clear on that around here. You are not a Christian based on your performance. God does not save you based on how good you are. You say, well, how does it happen? Well, you come to a point of faith in Christ, and when you get to that point, you place your faith in him as your Savior, then he, he does something for you. He puts his spirit inside you inside your heart and we would use the expression and you probably heard this before we use the expression you are then born again born again two births just like at the first birth they issue a, a, a birth certificate with your name on it there is a, a second birth and there's a whole new relationship with God and you say well you know what what kind of 
birth certificate do we get for that well I've never seen it I don't I don't know what it looks like but I know that there is one because the Bible tells me that there is this thing called the Lamb's Book of Life and the Bible says that when you have a relationship with God a saving faith in Christ one of the things that happens is your name gets written in this book of life kind of scary to think you get to heaven and they're going through that book and somehow they can't seem to find your name and that you ever had dreams like that no no look it's under w you know it's i'm sure it's in there you know well, i'm not seeing your particular look under b okay no look under cross lane community church maybe i got lumped in with everybody else you know i don't know how but it's kind of scary to think that your name wouldn't be in that book our names are written in the book of life there is a record of our spiritual awakening and of your spiritual life in christ it is the beginning point for us it's the first step of moving towards becoming like the God who has birthed life in us. Now, we all know this, but by way of quick review, let's just uh, let's, let's do second grade, um, second grade health class all over again. Um, when you were born, where did you get the stuff that makes you you? I mean, where does that come from? When you're born, there's, there's you, but where did, where did all the materials come from for that? Well, it came from mom and from dad. If you look at your mom and you look at your dad, then you have a pretty clear indication of where you're headed. Okay, I hate to break you up, but, but that's kind of what's going on. You can just kind of look ahead and you can kind of see your future a little bit. I see, I see dads looking at sons and sons looking at dads and shaking their head. It's a bad thing, maybe. Now, some of you might be fine with that. Some of you might look down the aisle and see dad and say, well, that's not so bad. He's a pretty cool looking dude. I wouldn't mind looking like that when I get older. Some of you are hearing that and that's really, really bad news for you. That You could have gone all day and not gotten that particular news. You know, women, they, they get Glamour magazine or Cosmopolitan and they look at that and they you know, try to imitate that. Well, I Get a picture of your mom and look at that because that's pretty much where you're headed, okay? You can look at Glamour magazine all you want, but you're headed toward mom more than you're headed toward Glamour magazine. Okay, that's where you're going. Um, I hate to break you up. You are, by and large, a product of what you got from mom and dad. Everything in terms of DNA came from them. And we're talking about being spiritually born again, something that many of us have experienced in our lives in this room. Some of us know the date when we came to Christ. Some of us can remember the day. We remember the date. We know specifically all the circumstances around it. Some of us aren't quite that clear on all the details, but we know that there was a date for us where something changed, something happened, and God came in. Let me ask you a question this morning. What did you get from your mom when you were spiritually born again? Nothing. Mom didn't give you anything when you were spiritually born again. Now you would say, oh, wait just a minute, Brad. I mean, mom prayed me into the kingdom. Mom made sure we were at church. Mom made sure that I was dressed right and that I behaved myself properly. I mean, mom had a, had a lot to do with whether or not uh, I came to Christ. She has a lot to do with me spiritually actually getting to the point where I have faith in Christ and I have an assurance of heaven someday. What I would tell you is that you don't have any of your parents' spiritual DNA in you. The only DNA you've got in you 
is the DNA that comes from God. We have God's genes. I want you to hear a passage of scripture, John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And being born of God, the life that comes from God, from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is, it is their life that births us to life. It is their DNA. And yeah, I've got some of Rita and Buzzy coursing through my veins physically. And yeah, I've got a sinful bent in me because of the wages of sin in my life. But I have a new spiritual creation inside of me, and it is the DNA of God that grows in me spiritually. And when God says, hey, be an imitator of me, he's thinking that that's something that could actually happen. He's thinking that that's something that's not a joke. That's not, you know, that's a serious thing when he lays down, hey, I want you to imitate me. You are a child of God. You've got everything you need. And he says the most normal thing we could do, emphasize the word normal, is to mature and grow and to grow up and to have someone say, you know, I have not seen you in about 18 months, but man, you look more and more like God all the time. You act like him, and I can see God in you. That should be the goal. That's normal. It would be normal that people who know you and haven't been around you for a while would come up to you after they've been with you and say, man, I can see it all over you. You're growing. There's maturity about you. Your faith is strong. You're not the same person that I was around 18 months ago. Are we going to become like are we going to become God? No. Are we going to become like God? Yes, absolutely. We can become like God, and this is what he intends for us. Listen to uh, 2 Peter verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. His divine power This word I would just tell you this passage is worth memorizing, okay? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. When you were born, did you have everything that you need for life? Yes. Now, it wasn't fully developed. I mean, what I'm saying is you didn't go back to the hospital four months later and they do some kind of, you know, upload for you to get some more, you know, blue in your eyes or, or you know, better muscles or, you know, olive skin or whatever things that you got from your parents. You got everything you needed. You had it all packed inside of you before you left the hospital. Okay, you didn't go back and get more four months later. It was all in there. It wasn't all fully developed. It, it hadn't all fully matured. You didn't know how to use all of it. There's a lot of things that were going on, but it's all still in there, resident inside of you by birth. His divine power has given us everything we need for life. I love this word, godliness. What a powerful word. You say, I, I don't know how to be godly. I'm telling you, godly is in you. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, godly, godliness is in you, and you can be godly. 
through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, through his glory and his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises. One of those being that if we put our faith in him, we're going to have this new life in us. He has given us this very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate. If you have a pen, that'd be a great word to circle. Participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. That by these promises that God has given us and this spiritual transaction that we can actually participate in the divine nature. That we can take hold of and that we can have inside of us the very nature of God. We have a new genetic makeup. And we're not just talking about DNA. We're leaving the A off now. We're just talking about DN, divine nature. That's what you have in you. You have DN in you. You have divine nature in you. If you don't have a spiritual birth, you can try all you want to act like God and it's just never really going to fully work. It would be like you hanging around my house as I was growing up and trying to act like my dad. You, you would be able to mimic certain things, but if you don't have his DNA in you, there are certain things that just aren't going to sound right or look right or be right when you try to do that. The last verse in Ephesians 5 really begins to lead us, or the last part of Ephesians 5 that we read earlier, really begins to lead us into a lifestyle of living out what he has put into us. Let's start at the beginning. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Another uh, version of Scripture writes, walk, a, walk in a life of love, just as Christ loved us. In other words, I'm always thinking about how Christ loved me. I, I'm, I'm receiving that. I'm standing constantly under a, a better blessing of a heavenly Father that says you are unconditionally loved. You are first loved. You are perfectly loved. You are sacrificially loved. This is how we've been loved. And you, you, you stand under a waterfall of that kind of love for your entire life. You stand under a, love of, under a waterfall of unconditional, initiated, perfect love. You stand under that long enough and then find it difficult to, to love someone else then there's something wrong somewhere. Because there's no way that you should stand under the waterfall of God's love for you, the unconditional, grace-filled love for you, this, this initiated perfect love that God gives to you. There's no way you stand under that for any period of time and don't get to a place where you learn how to love other people. You say, I can't love that guy. Well, what you're saying is that you can't be loved because to be loved by God is to then turn around and love someone else the way you've been loved. To know unconditional love is to give unconditional love. To know that God loved us first is to love someone else when they don't deserve it. He says, live a life of love. It's a, another version says, walk in the love. Don't just say, whew, I got, a, I got a better blessing from God. I am loved, I am loved, I am loved. I am loving being loved. Can't do that. Eventually, love trickles down, and it hits your heart, and it explodes. And you start to say things like this. Well, I might even could love them. I mean, God loves me, and he loves me unconditionally, and it's kind of hit my heart, and I might even be able to 
to love you I can't love you with my love because my love is incomplete and imperfect but the love of God's perfect and I could I could love you with his love I don't have any of my own but I got a ton of God's love I'm going to walk in his love in the same way he's loving me I'm going to love you that's how it works it's a process we call discipleship it means that we understand that being saved or being born again or accepting Christ is not the end it means that we know that there's more to it than just accepting Christ it's the beginning it's the beginning of growing up there let me give you a couple of words as to how this happens it happens in physical life it also happens in spiritual life with your heavenly father it starts with this thing we call relationship everything happens inside of relationship with God you grow up to look like your dad in relationship it's in relationship that we learn we learn who our father is it's in relationship that we observe it's the second word in the in the whole I'm going to give you several words learn and observe isn't it scary how your kids watch you? When we first moved here, <laughs> Bennett was not quite two. And uh, was, you know, not real good on his feet just yet. Um, this kid that plays guitar up here is him. It's amazing to me that he's as big as he is. But when we first moved here, actually, in my interview process with the elders one of the questions that came up was do you play softball I knew I was in the right place when they asked that question and so I got the job and moved here and it was summertime when all that was happening and um, actually it wasn't it was at the end of the, it was in the fall I got hired in the fall and so I had to wait that whole winter poor me till softball started and the team had um, these I should be nice I would call them hideous I didn't like the uniform very much but it was you know it was cool to have one but I got my, my shirt we went to the place where you got the shirt and I didn't like the shirt very much because it was maroon and gold and it just didn't I wasn't used to wearing those colors on softball and my number was some number like 67 or something crazy like that but it was really cool because when Myra went to get my jersey from the place that printed them up she also got a little one a little replica one for Bennett so I had one and he had one and I had a pair of gold shorts that I wore and she found a little pair of gold shorts for him to wear and so when I put on my uniform to go play ball with the ball team on Tuesday nights well then she dressed Bennett up and had him in a little uniform and he was just like a little mini me he was he was just just like me and he watched everything I did. And if you've ever seen me play ball, I'm not so much now because I'm older, but when I was younger, I was diving all over the place. I, I, love, I don't ever slide feet first into a base. It's always head first. If I'm going to slide, it's always head first. And so I would hit the ball and run, and Bennett would be at home plate, only he was on the other side of the fence, and he would wait for me to hit the ball, and then he would run to first base with me. And if I was running and slid, he would run and slide. He watched everything that I did. It was really kind of scary. Myra called me one day. I was in the office, and she called, and she, you could tell she was tickled. She said, um, she said, Brett, you are not going to believe what your son just did. Now, you know, don't you, that when they say your son, she's trying to distance herself from whatever has just happened, okay? And that's what, exactly what was going on. Do you know 
Let me tell you what your son just did. He just walked into our bathroom and lifted. He's, he's about two, two and a half, okay? He just lifted the toilet lid and spit in the commode and then put the lid down and walked away. And I said, Myra, if you'd stop doing that, he wouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> you observe in relationship the attributes of God. Let me show you a picture. That's what I've got to look forward to right there. <laughs> that is my dad. That is, uh, he is affectionately known as Buzzy by anybody who knows him. His, little, his big brother, when dad came along, did, could not say the word brother. It came out Buzzy. And so he's grown up his entire life. That's Buzzy. Um, he drove a truck for years. Um, just you know just a, a great great guy kids in relationship with their parents observe and then they do the third word in relationship which is to model we model we observe and then we model now my dad is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet in your life I mean his dad was a was was like that his dad um when I was at Grandpa's house, we called him Papa. When I was at Papa's house, it was not uncommon for me to be there for a week when I would go visit, and every night people would just drive by and stop and talk to Papa. And many of those people hadn't eaten, and I've seen my grandfather feed a lot of people. I mean, there was always food in the kitchen at my grandfather's house, and along about supper time, people knew they could just drive by, stop in, get a bite to eat. Papa would talk to them. My papa was the nicest guy in the world to you. My dad is, as people love my father. He's just, he's one of these people that you just like being around. He's generally in a pretty good mood. He would do just about anything for you if, you, if you're kind and if you ask nice. He'd just do just about anything in the world for you. But he has a temper. And he's bullheaded. And he doesn't change his mind very easy. We got into a political debate my last trip into town, and I just walked away shaking my head. And Mom said, Brett, you know better. That's me. I'm a very nice guy. I would like to think that people feel like they can approach me, but I am bullheaded to a fault and push me far enough and I have a temper I am my father I have, I have grown up watching this man be as kind as a man can be and then look out worst thing in the world that could happen in my world growing up was if I saw my dad reach for his belt buckle he did not want to be around when that happened and I was a couple of times You'd be amazed what would happen if you would take this book and you would start to look at your heavenly father and you started to model what you find in these pages. And you saw how he acts. And you saw what he's like and how he thinks and how he responds. Relationship, observation, modeling, and then shaping and teaching. That's 
where dads come along and they say, don't, don't do it like that. I don't want you to do it like that. I'm a screen printer. One of the, my hobbies, I have a small business, is a, is a screen printing business. It's not anything major. It's something that I do anymore. Now that I'm, I'm a preacher, I do it more for sanity than anything. I can stand out there and print shirts and kind of let my mind go and, and don't have to think a whole lot. And so um, I have an order coming up that I have to fill for the school system, and, and uh, it requires that there's a, a print put on the sleeve. And so that's a pretty simple thing. I have a 14-year-old son named Tanner, and I thought it was time that Tanner learned how to do that. And the kids are always wanting to print shirts. They've seen me do that for a long, long time. And so I said, hey, Tanner, you want to print shirts? He said, yeah, I do. So I took him out into the shop, and I set it up for him and showed him what to do. And, and so I printed a couple of shirts and ran them through the dryer. I showed him how to print the shirts, how to back flood. I showed him how to very carefully take the sleeve off of the platen and make sure that the ink doesn't touch and put it on the, the conveyor belt of the, the oven that it goes through to cure the shirt. Um, I showed him how to do all that and, and just the way I wanted it done. You know how you are if you've got something that you're doing. There's certain ways it has to be done, certain ways you don't want it done. And so I explained all this to Tanner. And all along the way, I'm trying to teach him a better way. Then I gave him the squeegee and let him pull the squeegee a little bit and put some shirts on. And of course, you know, his first couple of times through, they, they, he had some things that he needed to learn. And so I watched and I adjusted. And so there was shaping and teaching going on as Tanner was trying to print these shirts for me. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to watch you do things, and he wants to tell you, that's okay, that's, see what you just did there? We don't want to do that again. We want to do this. He wants to shape you and teach you. He wants to watch you do what you're doing and then say, there's a better way. Let me show you a better way. So now we say, God, teach me, shape me, show me how to live. I have your DNA. The last little word is the word practice. You don't have to get it all right when you're little. Isn't that, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to nail it all when you're a little guy and you're, you're trying to make your way in life? Aren't you glad? It's relationship. It's observing. It's modeling. It's shaping and teaching. Then it's practicing. So Tanner with these shirts, he, you know, he, he's printing the shirts, and I'm watching him, and I, I pulled up a chair and sat there and watched him print about 15 shirts. I mean, I got 150 of them have to be done. And I watched him print for a while. And after about 15 or 16 shirts, I was satisfied. I'm like, hey, dude's got this. I'm going to go clean the, the shop. And I actually left the, the building and let him. He, he was printing them, and Delaney was folding them at the end. She was taking them off the dryer. And you, know, it was, you, and you know what's going on in his mind. You know, you know, hey, Dad just left the building, left me in charge of the press, and I'm printing shirts. And, he's, and I left. You know what that looks like? It's you saying, you know, I might be ready to love somebody else. I mean, God's been loving me, and he's shaped me and taught me, and you know what? Now it's my time. It's my time to step up and not just be loved, but to love somebody, to say, you know what? If God loves me like that, maybe I can love somebody like that. If God loves me unconditionally, it's possible that I could be like my father and do what he's taught me and put in me and take the DNA that is in me and to love people unconditionally the way God loves me. He goes on in chapter 5 to say, walk in purity, walk in light, walk in, in as wise, walk with an eternal mindset, walk as a servant. 
He says, here's what I'm like. It's in you. I want you to live that out. I want you to be that. Practice these things in your life. Sometimes you're going to mess it up. I was cleaning something, and I happened to glance over at Tanner, and one of the things he was doing in the shop, I looked over, and he's when you print shirts, there's something called a back flood. You pull ink through, and then when you get ready to do the next shirt, you back flood the the screen so that it's ready for the next print you only back flood once if you do it more than that you get all this ink all over the place I look over my shoulder Tanner is just constantly ramming ink down the screen just back flood and back flood and you only do it once it's rule one one back flood but I didn't tell him that so he can't figure out that it doesn't look right to him it actually was right but it didn't look right to him and I look I look over my shoulder he's just ramming ink through the screen and I said buddy what are you doing what are you doing stop 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 you know <laughs> like five times I walk over to the screen it is caked just caked with ink I mean it was a mess it was a mess now I didn't yell at him I didn't scream and holler I said okay first of all you never back flood more than once because if you do this is the problem that will happen what happens is it just if you printed it, it you wouldn't be able to read it and so I said okay now I'm going to have to clean this screen and I showed him how to do that I said when you make this mistake this is what has to happen so we spent a little time then uh, cleaning the screen I didn't kick him out of the shop I didn't rip the squeegee out of his hands and tell him he was a horrible kid and you're never going to amount to anything as a screen printer. You're not going to make it. I didn't say anything like that. I taught him. Okay, this is a mistake you made. Here's how we fix the mistake. Here's why you don't do it this way. Print a shirt. And let me show you what happens when you print that with all that ink in there. So he did. He pulled the squeegee. You couldn't read it. I said, that's why you never back screen. You never back flood more than once. What do you call that? You know what I did with him? It's called discipleship. It's a process of discovering who God has already made us to be and how to walk in that all the days of our life. It starts at birth. It starts and it progresses as we grow. God loves you. I don't know what kind of father you had growing up. I don't know what's been modeled for you. I don't know what you've seen. Here's what I know. I know that you and I, who are Christians, have God's DNA in us. We have DN in us, divine nature. We can be, not would like to be, not hope to be, not pipe dream that we might one day be. We can be imitators of God and you know what if we're going to be the kind of church that brings people to Jesus here's what I find most non-believers really don't have a problem with Jesus they're open to Jesus you know what their problem is a church that doesn't imitate God that's what they have a problem with when we imitate God we validate what's going on the divine nature in us and people say hey I can see it you say, you're, you say you believe in God I can see you imitating God it must be real most people don't have a problem with Jesus they have a problem with Christians because a lot of Christians aren't growing aren't maturing aren't discipling aren't 
uh, being modeled and trained, aren't paying attention to God. They're not in here, and they're not saying, oh, that's what God's like. I want to be like that. As we are imitators of God, we will influence Terre Haute surrounding areas we will bring people to Jesus if you are a person in the room this morning you've never given your life to Christ I'm here to tell you the most important thing that's ever going to be said to you God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you and it's not about how good you are it's not about how you perform it's not about saying enough prayers or going to church enough times or giving enough money or not cussing or it's not about anything like that it's about whether or not you believe Christ died for you and that that death secures forgiveness for you and you are saved and forgiven. You have a clean slate for the rest of your life. If you've never given your life to Christ, that's what we're calling you to. I'm not calling you to come be something that you're not. I'm calling you to come be who you are in Christ. And if you've never done that, we invite you to do that this morning. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. If you've never given your life to Christ, you can do it. But let's pray before we do that. Father, you are the perfect Father. You do love us unconditionally. You initiated that relationship. You made the first move. We respond to you. You are the revealer. You have declared in no uncertain terms through Christ that you love us. You've spared no expense. And so, God, as we, we stand and we would think about Christ on the cross, what a frightening, humbling, um, awe-inspiring. Um, it, there's a part of it as, as gruesome as the death is. There's a part of it where we can even have joy because we see what you're doing to get to us, to, to have a relationship with us, to ensure that we spend an eternity with you. Father, we hear words like be an imitator of God and we think that's not even possible. I pray, Lord, that you would make it in our minds very clear this morning that it is not only possible, it is expected. We are expected to grow. We are expected to be disciples. We are expected to watch you, to learn from you, to be shaped and taught by you and to practice what you teach us. May we, Lord, get into your word. May we know what you look like. May we know how you act. That when we come into certain circumstances, we would know how to act because this is how God would act. And when we do that, Father, people are going to notice a difference in us. And bringing people to Jesus will be as easy as shooting fish in a barrel because your love changes people. God, we... We respond to your great love for us by saying we love you back. You are awesome. You are the perfect father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.